there will be a day when all is known. We learn over the years to pretend and to hide, to be deceptive, to look away and to look down so that no one might see the shame in our eyes. We learn this over a lifetime, my friends, but there is a day coming. There is a day coming where there will be no more hiding and pretending. And who you are on the inside will be known brightly and broadly to everyone. That day is the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. We're going to look at four different passages here, friends, that can teach us some important truth. And if that really is the truth, that one day all that we hold secret will become known, we want to be ready for that. The fact of the matter is that you get to choose what your experience will be on that day by the choices you make throughout every day, throughout every relationship you have, every choice you get to make. So let's get prepared here, my friends, about the judgment seat of Christ. So if you're a believer, that day, my friends, is certain. It is a date, a destiny My friends, it's going to happen, so I want to give us some opportunity to prepare for it. And to do that, we're going to learn something about it. The first thing we're going to look at here is is a a couple of things, the truths that we need to know about the judgment seat of Christ. And the first is that the judgment seat of Christ is a time for reward. It is a time for reward. In this pericope that we're going to look at here, Paul addresses uh, two related subjects that transition into a third quite naturally. And the first of these two subjects is first spiritual maturity. I want you to notice here that Paul was concerned about the spiritual maturity of those who were at the church at Corinth. He was concerned about the maturity of all of those believers uh, in all of the letters he wrote. But I want you to notice here, right obvious here in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians in verse 1, and you'll notice that Paul says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. People who deal with life on a spiritual perspective, looking at life as God would see it and have us see it. But instead here, notice the contrast, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. What a a condemnation of these people. He says, I know how you live. I mean, remember, he's, he's, he wrote in, uh, in chapter 11 about how they operated when they celebrated the Lord's Supper. People got there early, ate all the food. Some of them were drunk. I mean, they could care less about the people around there. And that certainly is an obvious mark of spiritual immaturity. But notice as Paul continues, verse 2, he says, I fed you with milk. Now, this is a metaphor teaching the easy entry-level things about Christ. Fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one, one says, and he offers an example of this fleshly nature of this church. He says, uh, for, for when one says, well, I follow Paul, and another says, well, I follow Apollos because he's so good, I'll tell you, and I laugh, and it's wonderful, you know, and, and, and Paul says here, look, he says, you know, are you not being merely human? 
I mean, what then is Apollos? And, and who's Paul? And think about Paul saying that about himself. They are nothing but servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. They are servants of God. Now, Paul makes it clear here that the ministries are not competing against one another. There is not the Paul side and the Apollos side. Friends, they're all on the same team. They just have different uh, works to do among the people of God. So, so look at here. We, we see this essential teaching about their ministry to help the church at Corinth understand that these are not, I follow this guy or I follow that guy, and we're making up teams and dividing the church. He says, there's only one team here. Look at here. Paul explaining his role. He says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. See, it was Paul, and Paul had this idea, you know, in his own head that if he was going to go someplace, he wanted to go where no one had preached the gospel yet. Paul wanted to be the first guy there to preach Christ. In doing that, he also was the first guy that would get stoned and arrested, and they'd whip him and beat him and imprison him. I mean, all kinds of things happened there. But Paul just liked to be the guy that went out there and laid a foundation of understanding about Christ. And then Apollos came along, and he did some more preaching and teaching about Christ, and people learned more, and they liked that. I mean, I don't know if you remember those times in your life, and hopefully they're these times, where you're hearing more about things you only heard about, and your learning and your understanding is growing, and, and you as a child of God are growing in your worship and love for God, whom you know better every day. Well, Paul came and he preached the gospel. These people trusted in Christ and a church was born. And Apollos came along and watered that seed and, and helped them grow. You know, so some people said, Paul, he only talks about the gospel. Oh, but Apollos, oh, the depth of understanding of that man. And they didn't see that it was a whole process in their life. So, so here, Paul lays out some understanding. He who plants, verse 8, and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field and God's building. And how, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of the church, not just Jesus. Not saying I believe Jesus, but the fact that Christ went to the cross and he died for our sin. He rose from the dead and he planted, he, he built, he designed and, and made the church. And that church has been going on for thousands of years. We're talking about all over the world where people put their faith in Christ and live by faith in Christ, by the power of the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit and the grace of God, my friends, the church. And it has been late, but the church has to grow. You know, a farmer doesn't just throw seed out there and walk away and look at me, I'm a farmer. And, you know, it's got to be watered, it's got to be tended to. But the whole goal is growth, you know, maturity, fruitfulness. Well, Paul 
having uh, introduced the relationships of ministers and how they work together, Paul now reminds the church that they ought to carefully consider just how they will minister and maybe even more than that, how they will live. Because my friends, harvest day is coming. You know, there is a, an accountability to all of this. Paul is accountable to God. Apollos is accountable to God. And my friends, so are you and I. Look at here in verse 12. We've got some lessons involved here in this ministry accountability. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver or precious stones, that's well, a good category, by the way, contrasted with wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest. It is just a matter of time. You know, I, I like to work with wood. I'm, I'm a very novice carpenter, and, I, you know, I've been acquiring tools over a while. And, you know, it all starts with a pile of lumber. You know, a pile of lumber and a bunch of dreams. And, and you get out the measuring tape, and, and you start drawing lines and cutting and shaving and planing and, and all of these things. And, you know, and it's, it starts with this beautiful thing, you know, but, the, but it's only an idea until it's all worked out. And then when it's said and done, you can stand back and say, hey, how close to the dream does it look? You know, the same thing is true about our Christian life. You know, every one of us, if we're a believer, we have this longing for more. We, we want to be more than what we are today. We want, we want to know Christ deeper. We want to follow him faithfully. We want to have that kind of faith that people tell stories about, that God leads you to something that maybe no one else understands, and you step out with a big step. And God does great things in that. We want to be those kinds of people. But friends, we got to move from the dreaming stage to start cutting the lumber. You know, and one day it'll all be done. The work is finished and someone will step back and, t and, <laughs> and take a look. Well, my friends, what that's going to look like here is just this. Paul says, now look, there's a foundation that every one of us is building on. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe it was when you were four, maybe it was 14, or maybe it was 40. And at some point, you start building on that. What kind of Christian life is, is the Spirit of God working when you are cooperating and you understand the Word of God better than you could have ever imagined when you started out? And you're doing things, making choices like you never would have thought before you trusted Christ. And that growth is taking place. You're building on that foundation. You know, well, with what? What kind of work are you doing? And let's face it, you know, sometimes, some days it looks like, uh, you know, precious stones and gold and silver, good, faithful times in the Word of God, seeking deeper understanding of what God has told us to do or, or told us what He's going to do and we want to understand. The, and other times it's more like, yeah, I read this before, it's familiar enough, I can check the box. Some of that, my friends, is gold and precious stones and silver. But some days we just mail it in and, and it's wood, hay, and straw. Well, I want you to notice that, friends, that one day there will be a time of evaluation. Look at verse 13. 
Each one's work will become manifest. How? It will be For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that, has, that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Nothing to show for it. How many years have you been following Christ and what have you made of it? You have all of the resources of heaven, the designs and the leading of the Spirit of God. And the only one that stands in the way is you. One day you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and all will be known, the thoughts, the motivations of every decision. No more excuses, no more acting, no more hiding. What will be there, my friends? Now again, remember, the judgment seat of Christ is not about condemnation here. We're not talking about Jesus going, you know, I never should have saved you people. Off to hell you go. That's not what we're talking about here. When we talk about judgment, judgment means one of two things. Judgment can mean condemnation. The judge made a decision and they drag him off into prison to waste away in a cell. Or judgment can simply be an evaluation. You know, you go to an art fair and there's judge and they're just evaluating. They're not walking around saying, this guy's a bum. What is he painting this for, you know? That's not what we're talking about. When we stand before Christ, it is an opportunity for reward. And the reward is about how we have responded to him to the good things he's brought into our life, the opportunities that are before us every day. It is, it is no different than that parable, you know? God hands out different opportunities to everyone. You know, we talk about the talents. Now, the talent was a piece of uh, monies. And some guy went out and invested and he got a whole bunch more back. He doubled his, this guy did. And then the third guy went and buried it. Like, I don't know, it's too risky. Too risky. Just bury it. I mean, he's a hard man. But sure enough, they all stood before this guy and he said, no, show me what you've done. You know? And it was about rewards. You know, I gave you six, you got 12. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. The idea is reward here, friends. The judgment took place at Calvary when Christ died for your sin. There is no more accountability than that, my friends. This is about reward. This is about only believers who will stand before Christ. What will you have in your hands? That is the question that we ask here today. Now turn with me to Romans chapter 14. I told you we were going to look around. The great thing is maybe you got some clean pages you can fill out, some things to underline, stuff on the other side of the page that I'm not even talking about that the Spirit of God wants you to read. I'm not telling you to look there. I'm just saying, hey, pay attention. Great opportunities before us here. All right, Romans chapter 14 and verse 10. And, and here is Paul talking to the church at Rome about a particular issue that they had, and maybe other Christians do as well. 
And we will notice a couple of truths here along the way. And the first of those is that judgment is not ours to dispense. Judgment is not ours to dispense. Look at verse 10. Why do you pass judgments on your brother? Now, he's not talking about evaluating people. You know, a wise person takes a look and listens hard. He's talking about condemnation. And look at the, the following statement. Or why do you despise your brother? You know, Paul looks back and says, well, this ain't Christianity. I mean, this is, we're a family. This is not how we treat one another. You know, so judgment is not ours to dispense. And second truth here is that judgment belongs to God. If God says it again, why? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. He's talking about Jesus, you know, the Son of God, who is God, very God, a very God. And then Paul writes, uh, quotes the scripture here. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. The day of judgment, of evaluation, the end prize, what have you done? It is coming. And notice this. On that day, we give an account for every thought, word, and action. Verse 12. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. The judgment seat of Christ is a time for accounting. Well, let's see, I sent resource after resource, the people around you, the people that all you had to do was take a few more steps or just open your mouth and talk to them. You know, maybe it's just the opportunities that rolled in. You know, some guy standing up here saying, hey, we could really use help ache. And you thought, I don't know, the game's on at noon. Every choice you make laid out before the Lord. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. He's talking to believers here. Judgment seat of Christ is for believers. The great, great white throne judgment is for unbelievers. And there's only one choice. You can line it all up. But every one of those people that appears before the great white throne of God is cast into hell prepared ahead of time for the devil and his angels who fell before the creation of this world. My friends, whew, that is condemnation. This is evaluation. And again, the point is for rewards, not just so everyone can look down at you. I guarantee you everybody in line for that one has got their heads down realizing, just like uh, you ever see Schindler's List? That's a fun one to say three times, you know? At the end of the movie, here's a guy who had this uh, factory, and he tried to save as many Jews from Hitler's death machine that he could. And at the end of it all, he says, this watch, how many more people could I have saved if I had have just given up a little more? You know, I just can only imagine that thought running through people's heads. I could have done more. I could have. And it's not people who are laying on the floor bleeding, my friends. It's the people sitting there who are looking awfully healthy, you know, and plenty of energy to expend, but they don't do it. What could you be doing now? Has it already popped into your head what the Spirit of God has already been poking at you about? I wonder. You know, now's the time to do it, friends. 
So the fact is that judgment is not ours to dispense. Judgment belongs to God. And we will give an account for every thought, word, and action. And friends, <laughs> we better get busy. As a matter of fact, if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we will see this warning laid out for us indeed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6. You see, the judgment seat of Christ is a time for reward. It is a place of accountability. And the very fact of knowing about it, it is motivation to get busy. To get going on the things you know that God has called you to do. Again, friends, this is about reward. This is about pleasing God by acting in faith. Responding to him which is proper in light of all that he has done for you. Take a look, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul gives some pretty clear instruction in light of this day. Number one, in verse 6, is we must make it our aim to please the Lord. We must. It is the only proper response to the grace of God. Verse 6 says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're not a, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith. It is faith and faith alone that pleases God, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, whether we are at home or away, friends, we make it our aim to please him. Friends, this is not drudgery. This is, this is the kind of pleasure that is born out of love for someone. It is, <laughs> it is uh, the picture of a, a new bride, you know, establishing this new home perhaps only weeks since they've been married. And here comes the dinner. Oh, and they're going to lay it all out. And I remember those days with Melanie, you know, just, just it's so great to come in and just see the big happy. And she's all do this, you know. Maybe you can remember those days, you know, and the, the table's all set and the napkins folded just so. And, you know, and this, and, and you know, maybe the conversation early in the day is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so afraid that I might wreck this thing. Why? Is he going to come home and beat you? I mean, does he got like a big glove that he hits you with? No, it's not that kind of fear. It's the, this is an expression of love and I wouldn't want to waste it. I wouldn't want to miss it. That's what we're talking about in this life as followers of Christ, is living out in such a way that our love could not be mistaken for anything else. And friends, we do that in faith. We know the God that we've never seen is there and he loves us and the evidence is everywhere. And we know these things matter to him. And so by faith, we live to please him. Well, my friends, that's the first truth. In light of this, we must make it our aim to please him. Because one day we will be rewarded for our actions. And here it is again in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. It's all made clear, my friends. We're not just going to talk about the good stuff. It's all laid bare to evaluate. That is the judgment seat of Christ. And so in light of this, we should get to work. And look at what Paul says in light of this teaching here. Therefore, 
You know what the word therefore is? It's therefore to uh, tell you what you ought to do in light of what you just read. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we, ought, we persuade others. Friends, we've got to warn some people of what's coming. You know, I mean, if there's people who aren't here today, you better call them up and let them know that day is coming. You know, share those passages we're going to stand before the Lord. We need to be faithful. We need to stop dreaming about pleasing God and start living it. This is what we've been called to do. And friends, it will be a day of salvation, uh, <laughs> celebration. Well, my friends, it will be a day of shame. So therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. And so, my friends, as we talk about this day of evaluation, a day when we stand before him and the light is on and there are no shadows and no place to hide, when all of it is there to be looked at, the total sum of how you have lived for Jesus is made clear. And for some, according to John chapter 2, in verse 28, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. Hmm. And now, little children, 1 John 2 and verse 28, John says, Now, little children, abide in him. Why? That when he appears, we may have confidence. That abiding is living and fellowship and love with God. It is walking with him. It is staying close to him, seeing the things that matter to him, doing the things that please him. Abide in him. Why? That we might have confidence. Now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence. The fact is, those who abide in Jesus... If you abide in Jesus, you will stand before him confidently. You will, like Christmas, when you've bought that present months in advance, and it's in the closet, and it's wrapped, and you can't wait to put it under a tree, and you can't wait for the night. I have a daughter who's like that. She can't hardly stand surprises. She just can't wait to tell. Friends, that's how I want to appear before Christ. It's like, Lord, I did it for you. I loved you. I didn't care what other people thought I should and shouldn't do. You led me and I followed. I didn't live for the comfort. I live, God, for your glory. Isn't that how you want to stand there on that day? Oh, my friends, if you abide in Jesus, you will stand before him confidently. But if not, notice the end of the verse and not ashamed before his coming. If not, you will stand before him in shame. The greatest consequence, the greatest consequence of unfaithfulness here on earth is that it disappoints Christ. I mean, friends, we are frail. We are, we are imperfect, but we are capable of more. Living for him, loving him, looking beyond just ourselves to someone around us and stepping out. It's a sobering thought that we could stand before Jesus humiliated, empty-handed, 
nothing to show for all the goodness that he has brought to us, all of the grace that he has so abundantly bestowed upon us. Shame. It reminds me of third grade. It was Philip Schmidt's birthday, and he decided he was going to have this party. So all the boys and one particular girl that he had a crush on were invited to this birthday party. And you remember how those things went with you were a kid? Remember how you went to the store and you were careful? No, you didn't do that. He asked mom. You know, and you remember if you were like me, you asked her at the very last minute. <laughs> hey, mom, I got a birthday party. Can you get a present for me? Oh, sure. I got nothing going on but waiting for you. <laughs> but, you know, moms love us, so they do this. And, you know, sometimes they do it begrudgingly, but they do it because they love us. And so the day of the party came. It was that very morning that I let my mom know. And, and sure enough, there she was after school with a wrapped gift in my hand. And I wondered, I wonder what it is. What am I getting Phil? <laughs> and so, you know, we played all the party games and we ate ice cream. And there was a lot of laughing and all kinds of horsing around. You know, except for Shannon who sat in the corner and wondered, why did my mom make me go to this? <laughs> You can almost feel it. And then it was gift time. You know, and, and, and sure enough, you know, there's Phil in front of everybody and all the guys are like, what did he get? <laughs> Hope he shares it, you know. And, and one by one, I mean, like here's the G.I. Joe mobile command center with a big antenna that comes out and all the lights are flashing. And, you know, remember G.I. Joe, this guy, you know, he had that weird little gun hand and his... <laughs> This is crazy, you know? And then there's rock'em, sock'em robots and a big, big uh, garbage can full of slime. You remember that stuff, you know? <laughs> Look at that. It's, it's not, you know? I mean, boys are so weird, aren't they? We are who we are, right? Okay. You remember those days? A little fun little time machine here today. <laughs> one by one. And I start eyeing after all these great gifts. There's mine over there. I hope it's good. <laughs> And lo and behold, it was time to open the gift. And this is what Phil found in that present. Yeah, it's not a great gift. It's something called the clacker. <laughs> the clacker, you see the little handle there? You hold it and you go like this and the balls swing and just clack. And he's like, what do you do with this? And then came the question, whose gift is that? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about here, right? I don't know. I don't know who it was. Come on, who was it? <laughs> Shame. We've all felt it. What can I do to crawl out of here? You don't want that to be your life, do you? That the sum total is something you want to run from? Friends, it's just a reminder. There is great opportunity here. Instead of thinking about it, friends, and knowing we should really get about it, let's get at it. Let's get at it. Because, my friends, we ought to be living as though somebody is watching because there is. All of it is known. There's no secrets. There's no hiding. Let's start living clean. If we're ashamed of it, 
Let's stop it. Let's start asking the question perhaps a little bit more frequently than Sundays. How is it that I ought to live in order to please God? So I would suggest to you, my friends, Bible to go, a sermon in a sentence, live as if someone is watching. There is. And live as if every word, thought, and action is a gift. It was to God. It ought to be the measure of every choice we make. Is this to the pleasing? Will this be pleasing to him? It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, my friend. Is this going to be something that is pleasing to him? The way I talk, my vocabulary, you know what I'm saying? Get rid of those curse words, coarse words. They're not fitting for people like us who are children of a king. Live as if every word, thought, or action is a gift of praise to Jesus. And remember this, friends, the days are short. It's not something to start tomorrow. Let's start now. Start evaluating what it is we've been doing with these days and make a change. And then I would recommend to you that you encourage others to live in such a way as to await the day with confidence. Bring others with you. It's the Christian thing to do. We're not called family Bible church for nothing. Family, we are a family. Let's, let's go together. Let's go together. So the fact is you have a choice how that day will go. You get a choice every day, every moment and every choice you make, every decision, every opportunity that rolls before you of how you can choose to live to please God. My friends, that kind of living is catchy. It, it, it starts, uh, it, like I'm, I'm on this Mediterranean diet. I got, I got this uh, uh, radiation damaged carotid artery over here. This one's pretty good over here, but you know, it's always good to have a backup. So I'm on this Mediterranean diet, you know? I mean, I eat this big bowl of peppers and onions with oil and vinegar on it. It's delicious with a little bit of salt, you know? You know, and, and you know what? It's working. I mean, it's really having the effect. You know, I can feel it. I feel better, you know, and I can't wait for the doctor, talk about day of evaluation, to check my cholesterol level. It's, it's in a good place, and I believe it's going to be even lower, and so when I come across this junk food, snack food stuff, you know, stuff that I used to eat, you know, like uh, apples and stuff, stick with a pet. No, I'm <laughs> it ain't apples, friends. <laughs> you know, I look at that, I'm like, this is going to kill everything I've been working on, you know? I mean, what changed in that is, is that I started doing things that were good and healthy and right. And something about that and the impact and the change it made my, made the, some other things disgusting to me. I can't get involved with that. That's going to destroy all the good work that's been going on. That's the way it works. One choice, two choice. You got a habit. You got a lifestyle. And suddenly those old ways and you wonder, how did I ever do it? Make the choices, friends, one by one. Choose wisely, evaluate carefully how you live your life because one day Jesus will.